of uh, a very wonderful work uh, uh, recently uh, published uh, indic academy promoted this book too and we recorded conversations uh, with uh, the author ganesh swaminathan ji a great work on uh, the again this uh, refers to time time scales astronomy and all that this particular paper ganesh ji has done on the red giant uh, feature of sun uh that is discussed in modern uh, studies and uh, the correlations with uh, puranas all puranas deal with the red giant form of sun ganesh ji over to you thanks very much for the introduction dr paturi ji um hello everybody my name is ganesh and i i will talk to you i plan to talk to you about the red giant sun in the puranas <clears throat> Uh, right at the very beginning let me take this opportunity to thank uh, dr paturi ji and uh, shri hari kiran ji for organizing this online conference and giving me an opportunity to present some of my findings thank you both so let's go to the objective and the approach of the paper the um, as far as the objective is concerned the red giant phase of the life cycle of the sun has been understood by science in the last half century this paper seeks to establish that this knowledge is well understood in the puranic texts and the approach is as follows the paper will outline the scientific view of the red giant phase of the sun and will go on to cite the verses from the puranas to establish the puranic view and then at the end uh, there'll be a brief discussion on a few aspects of comparison between the two views um and so we begin with the scientific view of the sun <clears throat> so the life cycle of the sun has five stages now we normally look at the sun and we don't think of it as having a life cycle uh, but the sun is one of the billions of stars in the universe and uh, like all stars of its kind it has a life cycle of about five uh, of five stages about and a life of about 10 billion years and i'm going to talk describe each of these stages very briefly just to provide context for this paper <clears throat> So the first stage is obviously birth, and stars are born in huge clouds of hydrogen called giant molecular clouds. And the image above is that of the uh, molecular cloud in the constellation Orion, and it's called the Orion molecular cloud. And when I say giant, it's huge in the sense that it's about fifty to hundred light years across. So you can imagine how huge this uh, this uh, the gas cloud is. and uh, stars are formed inside these huge clouds of gas and uh, this is like i said called the orion molecular cloud after they when they are born they don't produce any light immediately um, but after a while they do and stars have a very brief and a very active uh, adolescent phase so the phase of youth and at this stage they are called t tauri stars and uh, it's it's and it lasts for only about uh, about 10 million years so not very long but it has a very brief and very active at this time they are very large very bright and they have a lot of flares both of uh, coronal um, of mass into space and of x rays so extremely bright at this stage extremely active at this stage and after this stage uh, the star passes into what is called the main sequence phase which is the current phase of the uh, star of the sun in the sky 
And this occurs roughly after 100 million years after the birth of the sun, right? And what, what defines this stage is that hydrogen fusion starts initiating the core. So at the core of the sun, atoms of hydrogen start fusing together, forming, at, forming atoms of helium, releasing an enormous amount of energy. So this is the main sequence stage. And uh, this is what um, really, this is what is thought to power the sun that is, um, uh, that is the, that kind of is the source of energy for practically the entire solar system for all practical purposes. So after about six to 8 billion years, uh, what happens is that all the hydrogen uh, gets consumed in the core and becomes helium. And a couple of things happen. First thing, the hydrogen in the shell now starts to fuse and form helium. And the, the hydrogen in the core has already now become helium. And now the helium atoms in the core start to fuse. So two helium atoms fuse to form an atom of carbon, which again fuses to form an atom of oxygen and so on and so forth. They start forming bigger and bigger element, elements. And so an enormous amount of energy gets released and the sun becomes very huge at this stage. And in this stage, it's called a red giant star or you know, red giant phase of the sun. And this lasts for about one and a half to two billion years at the end of which all the material that can be fused is exhausted and the sun stops producing energy. And at this stage, when it stops producing energy, it just collapses in and of itself and becomes what is called a white dwarf star. And at this stage, it's still producing light from stored energy. And after that, even that light dries away and then the sun basically just dies, it just disappears. <clears throat> Now this paper focuses only on the red giant stage of the sun. Now you may not believe, but the Puranas talk about each of the five stages of the sun, right? But I'm not gonna talk about any of those. I'm gonna talk only about the red giant stage of the sun. So let's start, begin by looking at the research in this stage, right? There's been a lot of research in this field. In 1986, there was a paper by Jay Goldstein that in which he declared that the sun and its red giant stage would become so big that it would engulf the planets of Mercury, Venus, and the Earth. The paper was titled The Fate of the Earth in the Red Giant Envelope of the Sun. And it predicted a very, it predicted basically the, um, that the Earth would get, but basically vaporize inside the sun. Some years later, there was a paper by Joanna Sackman, uh, Juliana Sackman and, um, and a few others. And they said that, yes, the sun would grow in size uh, to where the earth is today. But what would happen is that the, um, the sun has a lot of solar flares that keep coming out from the surface. And these solar flares are basically giant mass ejections of the sun. And the sun continues to lose mass. And as it loses mass, it, um, the, gra the gravitational pull on the orbit on the planets decreases and the planets start moving into larger and larger orbits. And so um, at the end of the red giant stage, even though the sun has become, has grown to where the earth is right now, the earth would have moved away. And so it would escape the clutches of a red giant sun. So that's what the paper made the case of. More recently, there was a paper by Schroeder and Smith, which said that uh, the sun would not be able to move out far enough. They said that apart from the gravitational attraction, there is what is called the tidal attraction of the sun on the earth, because of which the earth would uh, lose angular momentum and would not be able to move out far enough. And right at the edge of the 
at its biggest point, the red giant sun would swallow up the earth. And they make the case that if the earth had been 15% farther away today, then it would potentially have escaped the clutches of the sun. But at this stage, they feel that it would swallow up the sun. <clears throat> so these are things that are very hard to imagine, let alone visualize. So I'm, I have a couple of illustrations. The first one, you can see a red giant sun and you see the earth, planet earth right next to it. You don't see the planets of Mercury and Venus because they've been swallowed up by the sun. And then you have the other planets, Mars, Jupiter, and the rest of them. And in the second uh, illustration, you will see the Earth right next to the surface of the red giant sun. And the Earth is completely scorched and burnt, right? So there's no, there's no water, no oceans, no ice caps, no polar ice, nothing, absolutely. It's completely burnt and it's absolutely hot. And, uh, and it's glowing in some parts because it, there's probably glowing rocks on the surface of the Earth. Or the, um, or the crust of the earth is cracked and uh, there's hot lava on the surface of the earth. So it's a very frightening picture of the earth and there is no possibility of any life on the planet. So let's look at the Puranic view of the earth. Right? So just as modern time uses the term red giant to describe the spheres of the sun, the Puranas too have a specific term. It's called the Sambartaka Aditya. And the verse in the Brahmanda Purana says, when the end of the Kalpa arrives, the sun of seven rays assumes the form of Sambartaka Aditya, the sun of final annihilation, and burns down the three worlds. So I want to call out a couple of things in this, uh, in this verse. First thing is that the verse, and all of the verses in this presentation will tell you the Purana, the book, the chapter, and the verse. Right? So in case anybody wants to do some follow-up research or study, uh, they are, it's easy for them to locate the verse. The second is that uh, right next to Sambartaka Aditya, there is a pair of brackets, which and the, uh, the meaning is shown to Sun of Final Annihilation. And this is by the translators themselves, as, as you may recall from Vivek Devaraji's uh, opening remarks, that this was done by a board of scholars. It was not done by some individual. And all of the explanations, all the entire text is as they have translated and have not made any changes at all. So the verse states that the sun becomes a Sambartaka Aditya at the end of a Kalpa. The duration of a Kalpa is 4.32 years, 4.32 billion years, which is a thousand Chaturyuga, which is, and each Chaturyuga lasts for 4.32 million years. Now, close to 2 billion years have elapsed in the current Varaha Kalpa. We are in the seventh Manvantara and 28 Chaturyugas have passed by. So we are in the early part of the Kaliyuga of the 28th. So to compute how much has elapsed, we have to just add up all the elapsed cycles of time. So six, uh, six Manvantaras have elapsed, so which is 1848 million years. 28 Chaturyugas have elapsed, which is 116.64 million years. And um, the Krita, Treta and Dvapara Yuga have elapsed, which is 3.9 million years. So if you add them together, you get 1969 million years, which is close to about 2 billion years. So if 2 billion years out of 4.32 billion years have elapsed, about 2.3 billion years remain till the end of the Kalpa. And this is the same order of magnitude as the estimated remaining life of the sun, which is about 6 to 8 billion years. It's still a little different and we'll come back to this point a little later. <clears throat> so there is not just one verse that describes the Sambartaka Aditya. Uh, there's an entire chapter, there's an entire passage of about 25 verses later on in a, in a later chapter in the Brahmanda Purana. So I'm obviously not going to cite all the 
verses, I'll cite a few of them to give you a detail in the description. The verses are from a chapter titled The Description of the Dissolution of the Universe from uh, Book 3, Section 4, Chapter 1, and it's a part of the Pratisarga narrative. So in the beginning, as the earth enters the red giant stage of the sun, the sun starts to grow in size. And as the sun grows in size, the earth becomes hotter and it causes a prolonged drought of the planet. And the verse says, then a continued drought lasting for a hundred years takes place, living beings deficient in strength become dissolved and get mingled with the dust. So the verse says that plants and animals that depend on water for their survival die and their bodies turn to dust. And then it goes on to say that as the earth becomes hotter, the waters of the surface of the planet start to evaporate and the verse states, the Lord of rays of unbearable heat begins to drink water by means of his rays. And as the earth gets, and it's from the same chapter as, the, as mentioned earlier, right? And it says, as the earth gets hotter, the waters of the ocean evaporate and dry up. And then verse 139 says, the seven rays of the sun that blaze in the sky, sucking up water, drink, wat drink water from the great ocean. And as the surface of the earth gets closer to the sun, the rocks and soil become heated and completely dry. And it says, being burned by the brilliant flames, the earth, including mountains, rivers, and oceans, becomes bereft of moisture and viscidity. And then the rays of the sun encircle the earth completely. And then it says, being, uh, verse 144 says, being restrained by those rays, the sun that burns brightly, the earth is enveloped entirely beneath, above, and on all sides. <clears throat> and finally, the earth literally begins to uh, glow from the heat of the sun that is, that is now enveloping it. And it says, getting the fiery splendor transmitted to it, the entire universe, slowly assumes the form of a huge block of iron and shines thus. So when a block of iron is left in inside the fire for a long period of time, it starts to glow. And that is exactly what we saw in the um, earlier description. It's very similar to what is suggested by modern science. So a couple of points of discussion. First thing is the time to the end of the Kalpa. We saw that there were 2.3 billion years left, which is the same order of magnitude as the current estimate of sun, six to eight billion years. But further down in the same chapter in the Brahmanda Purana, there is a description of a Visesa Kalpa, which lasts twice as long as a regular Kalpa. And the verse 210 says, when 2000 Chaturyugas are completed, it is called a Visesa Kalpa. And 2000 Chaturyugas are uh, 2 into 4.32 billion years, which is 8.46 billion years. If you deduct the time elapsed of 2 billion years, we get a duration of 6.46 billion years, which is very close to the current estimate. <clears throat> The second thing that's, that's interesting is the sequence of events is very clearly described. So it starts with a prolonged drought, then the waters start to evaporate from the surface, and the oceans and the rivers dry out completely. And then the gravel and the rocks on the surface completely get dried up, and then the earth gets completely enveloped by the sun. And then the sun is this earth is described as literally glowing by the heat of the sun. Right? So very clear sequence of events that is that is described. More importantly, this is not a part of a story of a god or a king or a sage. There are no metaphors that, that need interpretation. It's a pure description. And it's a very clear and a very simple description of the sequence of events. And finally, all these verses, the verses that have been quoted up until now are from the Brahmanda Purana. But this is found in practically all the Puranas, right? Though in uh, though the Brahmanda Purana has the most amount of detail amongst all of them. 
here's a word from the verse from the Siva Purana. It says, then all living beings are burnt by the sun's rays, O sage. All of them enter Vishnu at the end of the Kalpa along with the Adityas. This is from the Uma Samhita and the Siva Purana. The Skanda Purana says, when a thousand yugas are complete, a Kalpa is said to have come to a close. And then all living beings are burnt by the rays of the sun. So this is from the Skanda Purana, book five, section one. And as I mentioned, this is a part of the Pratisarga narrative, which is one of the Panchalakshanas of the Puranas. So every, every Mahapurana has, a, has a, mentioned this, mentions this quite well. But as I said, the Brahmanda Purana has the best detail that we can find for the purposes of comparison. So in conclusion, based on the above evidence, we can conclude that the phenomenon of the red giant sun was well understood in the Puranas as the Sambartaka Aditya. The Puranas don't just mention the red giant sun, they describe when it will happen, they describe the sequence of events leading up to it. And more importantly, this is a pure description, not just a story that needs interpretation. And that leaves us with the question, how did this knowledge come into these ancient texts? Professor Kark in his 2001 paper showed that the Purana, Puranic times have knowledge of the speed of light and pretty accurately at that. Now it's important to understand that until, two, until a couple of hundred years ago, scientists thought that light did not have any speed, that it was instantaneous. Um, so that's quite surprising, right? So, um, and so we have that as a data point, we have this as a data point. And maybe we should, uh, we should examine other areas of cosmology and find out if there are commonalities. And if we do find multiple points of commonalities between uh, the Puranas and modern science, then we should probably look at this question of how this knowledge came as a separate field of inquiry all by itself. It's a pretty significant question. With that, I uh, come to the end of my presentation. Thank you very much. And... Uh, Dr. Paturiji, if there are any questions, I'd be happy to try and answer them. I don't see many questions uh, for this presentation. Uh, I think that we are completely amazed uh, beyond words uh, by this presentation. Amazing information. Sambhattaka Aditya, when we were discussing this uh, paper with Ganesh Ji, I was mentioning this. Uh, Avarta Sambarta is the word for Vilpul and uh, the uh, Sanskrit word for uh, Sambartaka, it is used for clouds also. There, is, there are a category of clouds which are called Sambartaka uh, clouds. Uh, and uh, Ganeshji was mentioning how Sambartaka clouds are mentioned as the later portion, later uh, development of Red Giant Sun also. Uh, in the Puranas, and uh, that uh, Sambartaka uh, kind of uh, uh, vocabulary makes it very clear uh, uh, that the Puranas uh, all, uh, not only had an understanding of the uh, annihilation of sun or dissolution of sun, uh, they also had uh, an understanding of how it actually it happened physically there is a sambartana that is happening inside the sun. Uh, uh, so that's that was very interesting. And uh, now we move on to the next paper uh, in the series. Uh, in this, uh, uh, sir, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I think as a panelist, uh, I cannot submit a question. Is that correct? It's not you know, allowed. No, you can, you can, you can submit. 
uh, I don't see that option actually to submit a question. Uh, uh, now, now that you are able to speak, please go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just had a question uh, for uh, Swaminathan, sir. Uh, first of all, amazed to find this knowledge also in the Purans. Sir, are you aware of the story of King Revat who goes to Brahmalok to find Absolutely. A Absolutely. So the the story is the story is mentioned, and this is a this is a actually the concept of time dilation that is a, it's a product of the theory of relativity. By the way, it's not uh, it's something that we understood only about a hundred years ago after Einstein published his paper. It's a part of the special theory of relativity, and. Um, um, I, so I, I don't want to take up too much time here, Amitan Shuji. I'd be very happy to talk to you offline. And yes, this it is amazing to find this um, this described in as much detail in the it's both in the Bhagavata Purana and in the Brahmanda Purana. In both of these, you find mentions of the visit of uh, King Revata and his daughter to meet with Brahma and then come back to Earth. So thank you very much for pointing that out. <laughs>